Welcome to the Design Thinkers Academy London podcast, where we focus on design thinking and its role in some of the biggest issues facing society today. I'm Daniel Bircher and I'll be hosting this podcast, which is being recorded at the Lumiere Studios in Old Street in London, where the Design Thinkers Academy London is running its design thinking bootcamp. The partner for this bootcamp is the international non-profit organisation, The Climate Group, It builds networks of business and government to accelerate climate action, including initiatives on renewable energy, transition to electric vehicles and energy saving. At each of these boot camps, delegates coming from around the world focus on a particular social challenge set by the partner client, learning about design thinking through this process from some of the leading names in the industry. Well, let me introduce you now to my guests for this podcast, Helen Clarkson, who's the CEO of the Climate Group, and Goldie Chowdhury, the learning designer at DTA London. Welcome to you both. Now, Helen, you've set the challenge for this boot camp. Could you just outline what it is and how it fits in with the work that you do at the Climate Group? Yeah, so the challenge that we set participants was to look at how businesses and governments can enable healthy and environmentally friendly food choices. It fits in because we're thinking about the next decade, we're currently in the process of writing our next three-year strategy, but we're talking a lot about the climate decade. This is the decade in which we need to halve emissions. And when we look at our current strategy, you mentioned the work we're doing on the energy transition, and that will all continue, but we're thinking now about how do we move into thinking about land and food, which is a huge uh, part of global emissions, and we know that there aren't a lot of solutions to tackle that. So we're thinking as an organisation, what are we going to do? And we thought it'd be a really interesting thing for this group to take a look at. Now, uh, Goldie, the participants were given this challenge. How do you see design thinking applied to this? How's it used? Uh, How does that process work? Well, it gives participants a chance to think about the users, first of all. Um, Our process is very human-centered, beginning with what people want uh, and what they feel enabled to do. And so there's obviously a lot of pressure now where users are thinking about recycling and ways to make changes. We know that that's really not enough. And so we're really interested in how we can take these user-centered insights and then connect them to what businesses and government can do to enable bigger change faster. Now, Helen, you heard the ideas that came out of this boot camp. What for you were the takeaways in terms of themes? So I think one thing that was very interesting is, you know, as you mentioned, we work a lot with businesses and governments, which so that's quite a kind of top-down approach. It's, you know, pushing out big changes. And one thing we were interested in is what happens if you start at the other end of the lens, what happens with consumers. One thing that really came out, I think, clearly was if you go to people and talk about the environment, people aren't that interested when it comes to their food. If you go and talk to them about health, they are very interested. Um, I think we sort of knew that, but it really confirmed it. And I think for us then, as we engage with businesses, getting them to think about that lens is going to be really, really critical. Now, just putting this theme of diet and food into some sort of context, in the UK, the government, of course, has set a legal target of net zero for greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. And the report advising the government on behavioural and societal changes that will be needed to achieve that, particularly for households and consumers. It puts sustainable diet alongside transport, aviation, home heating as challenges that consumers need to address. Where is the balance, Helen, of responsibility between government, between consumers and between business? I think that's really interesting because I think 
I'm very reluctant to put all the responsibility onto consumers. I think that the big levers that you can pull are actually at that governmental and business-led. The problem there is businesses will say, well, we respond to what consumers want. And that's why you get problems like climate change, which seem intractable because who's supposed to move first? And one thing through our work that we found is working with businesses and helping them see the business case for making change, getting them to make big commitments and then figure out and innovate on how to meet them often leads to sort of cost savings and other things. So for us, it's how do you find a way in with business to help them, to help consumers often on this journey? And I think the message from this is how do we really play that health thing through? And that isn't fake in any way. There, there was a really interesting report that was done last year where actually the Lancet, so the you know medical publication, looked at what is a good, there was a commission looking at what's a good diet for people and the planet. And actually what's good for people and what's good for the planet are quite similar, which is we need to make a really big shift to plant-based diets. And I think what we saw coming out of this boot camp as well is almost testing that theory. If you go to people and say, be vegan, there's quite a lot of resistance. But if you go and come up with concepts for how do we get people to shift what they're eating for lunch, actually maybe there are other ways in. But a lot of what's been happening recently has actually been quite largely consumer-led yeah. as well. And that's also increased the pace. It's happened really quite quickly. Yeah, I think actually if you look back at the kind of history of the climate sphere, so much has been top-down because business and governments were looking at this, could see there wasn't necessarily a consumer push on it. And there's been a lot of achievements in terms of moving the emissions curve downwards through... Uh, business and government action. Now we've seen things like school strikes, Extinction Rebellion and others where growing public awareness, things like the, the wildfires in Australia have again lifted the awareness, people can see it's happening and then they're turning around to, to other players and saying well, what are you doing about it and there are some good answers particularly on energy, there's less good on the, on the food and diet thing which becomes another frontier we need to, to work on. And it is an area with big, big impacts and the IPCC assesses that global food production systems could account for between 21 to 37 percent of total human greenhouse gas emissions. That's land use, uh, that's production, that's transportation. So it's not just a significant issue, but it's also a very complex one. It is, and actually when you look at all the modelling of how you get to net zero, you've really got to get that right down almost to zero and actually through things you can do with soil and trees and so on, it's it starts to be restorative. So actually around our diets, we need to move into a kind of restorative point of view, not just a uh, you know, using up emissions. Now, Goldie, a lot of this needs new ideas, new systems, different ways of approaching problems. How do you think design thinking will help in those transformations? Design thinking helps us understand what users are actually motivated by. And what we've learned through our research this week is that cost and convenience trumps anything. After that comes personal motivations like nutrition. Um, but as Helen said, it's the fact that nutrition is so tightly linked with environmentally responsible food choices anyway. You start to see opportunities for networks of businesses that could be working together to create more systemic solutions um, that can have some of that bigger impact. We've been focusing on food on diet, but let's just broaden it out now. And what other areas do you envisage that design thinking can help to develop these new ideas, new solutions to accelerate climate action? Transport's a big one, um, thinking of mobility as a service um, and bringing together apps like CityMapper that are aggregating services and looking at multimodal ways of getting around um, where the goal is to get to point from point A to point B. Um, it doesn't need to be about car ownership or the debate around electric versus hybrid versus other modes of 
um, uh, transport. So I think looking at sectors where services could be a potential and working with the types of organisations like the Climate Group that have access to networks of businesses. Now, the UK is going to be the host of the next UN Climate Change Conference, the COP26 in Glasgow in November. 2020 is really seen as the start of a decade where much higher ambition is needed, step changes now. Helen, are you seeing that sense of urgency? Yeah, you can definitely feel the sense of urgency growing and and there's been a lot of news this week about COP26 and some of that is about how do we make this as successful as we can. I think for an organisation like ours, we're really putting our weight behind saying, look, this is a decade long project. The COP26 is the next big moment, um, but we've all got to work to making that successful, but looking beyond it and knowing these are big system level changes that we need to see. And Goddy, the same question to you. Are you seeing that sense of urgency and ambition in the companies, the organisations that you work with? Absolutely. I think from a design thinking perspective, we try to think about technical feasibility and business viability um, on top of the the user's needs. I think we're aware that businesses are able to innovate faster uh, and with more ambitious targets, and that can only trickle out to more ambitious products and innovations. And perhaps another change that we're seeing is a greater willingness to share ideas to work more collaboratively. Yes, and I think we're now at an at a point in time where we know what the benefits are of working across disciplines, across uh, different ways of thinking and knowing. And so the fact that we've got people who are experts in sustainability working side by side with people who are human research and user research experts is a great way of moving forward. And of course, for you, Helen, partnerships are a big focus of what you do. Just talk me through the advantages there of getting uh, businesses together, uh, sometimes competing businesses, but pushing in the same direction. Yeah, so we're, as a non-profit, we're mission-driven and our mission is to accelerate climate action. So we're all about how do you take things to scale and bringing businesses together by showing that collective demand, so something like renewable energy, saying that this 200 plus businesses all are saying they're going to shift to 100% renewable electricity, sends a really clear demand signal to the market and sends a message to both policymakers and people on the supply side about what the future looks like. So it's that kind of aggregated approach and scale that we're really interested in as an organisation. Now, having experienced this process of design thinking and what it can do, what do you think is the potential for yourselves as an organisation and for your partners? I think for us, um, one of the reasons we're very interested in partnership is how do you bring in new ways of thinking to us as an organisation, but also to the sector. We've done a lot of thinking over the last year about diversity and inclusion and these ideas about, look, this needs a radically different approach to society. We need different ways of doing things. How can we draw as much as possible on different disciplines, different ways of thinking, not just rolling out the same way of doing something all the time? So it's partly a challenge to ourselves when we were approached by the academy, like how could we bring some different thinking and, and given the opportunity to send a couple of people along. So I'm really excited by that and, and some of the opportunities we've got to work together over the year just to say, what if you do it a bit differently? What if you try something else? And how, for you, Goldie, would that feed back into the work that you do, this understanding that uh, you know have of, of how the climate group works? Yeah, so one of the things that we do in design thinking is to look at extreme users and learn from them and see how their lifestyle choices can apply to society at large. Um, so I think we'd have this opportunity to look at grassroots initiatives and see them bubbling up into small little startups that are brilliant, but still making small impact and seeing how they might be able to be scaled out through the power of big business and government. 
Goldie, Helen, many thanks to you both. And if after listening to this podcast, you want to find out more about the Design Thinkers Academy London and their bootcamp course, you can visit the website and you can also follow them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for another podcast coming soon. Thank you.